News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel here with co-host Christina Greer and Katie Onan. Hello. Hello there. Hi. Hey. And with a bit of news about this podcast to open up our 212th episode before we welcome in Alvin Bragg, the DA representing the 212. So let's not bury the lead. FAQ NYC is now a part of the city. That's the city.nyc, the nonprofit newsroom all about New York and for New Yorkers, where co-host Katie Honan is a senior reporter and where I'm now a senior editor. So this is an exciting moment for us and want to say thank you to all the listeners who've joined over the last four years and hello to city readers or others listening for the first time. Our crew remains the same and stay tuned for even bigger and better things to come. So that's enough talk about us. Now let's talk with Alvin Bragg, who voters chose as Manhattan's first ever black district attorney last year after a crowded and intense primary where candidates often struggle to get local let alone national attention. But Bragg is very much a national figure now with the Republican running for governor this year, basing his campaign on a pledge to fire the prosecutor on day one, while Fox News has introduced Bragg to its audience as their new avatar for quote unquote, soft on crime policies and urban chaos. All this at the same time, the many on the left were introduced to Bragg as the DA who pulled the plug on a grand jury looking at the Trump organization's finances, reportedly, though he said that investigation remains ongoing. So, Mr. District Attorney, welcome back to FAQ NYC. Thank you again for joining us. And I've got just one question uh, before turning things over to uh, Professor Christina Greer and then Katie. And as you've got a list of early accomplishments to discuss that New York Post readers, for instance, may not be familiar with. Question is here. You went to bed at the end of 2021 as a lawyer and a dad who just won your first ever election on an appeal to create a fairer justice system. And you woke up pretty quickly in 2022 as the most dangerous black man in America, allegedly. So I'm hoping you can kick things off by talking about the work your office is doing to focus on dangerous criminals and ensuring New York's justice system indeed as fair but also swift and certain consequences for them. So thanks for having me on again. It's always good to, to, to chat with y'all. I'm, I'm looking forward to a good, good dialogue. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I hear that, that, that description. Um, and I'm proud that like you led with lawyer, uh, right? Cause that's what I've been doing. I mean, not to the exclusion. You, you also led with dad too. I'm very proud of that. too. <laughs> that. Uh, but, but uh, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last 20 plus years. Uh, serving as a government lawyer, serving as a prosecutor, bringing cases that that that, that keep uh, uh, us safe, uh, and that's very much been you know my focus uh, for the first uh, six months. In addition to you know for the past twenty years doing cases that uh, improve our system's fairness, and also focusing on that. So you know, look, I, I I'm just gonna you know talk about the last couple of weeks, uh, you, you know, and I'll start with yesterday. You know, I started the. The, the, the morning yesterday, walking over to uh, the Southern District of New York, where I stood next to the U.S. attorney, with my former colleague from when I used to work there, uh, and the police commissioner. And we announced a prosecution of a, of a, of a very violent group, uh, OED, uh, 
uh, for in the state prosecution, a string of robberies, a murder, an attempted murder, uh, federal prosecution, uh, uh, narcotics trafficking, and other activity. Uh, and then uh, ended my day in community out national uh, night out um, and where I was with law enforcement and, and uh, community groups and was stopped uh, by, by a couple of folks who were, uh, one, excited about, about a grant process that we have where we're funding community groups to fund programs to get money directly into the kind of uh, pockets of our youth who have been affected by gun violence, doing projects like beautifying an area barred by gun violence, um, uh, and also doing things like cognitive behavioral therapy. So like, that's my job in a nutshell, right? You know, hold people accountable, uh, bring cases for people who are drivers of violence uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, and their complementary parts to, to intervene and prevent. Uh, and so we're doing both. And I'm happy you know, to talk about that. Just an example in the gun space. Uh, last week, we, we got a conviction after a six-week trial of a former doctor who was using his prescription pad uh, uh, to as a weapon uh, and was uh, uh, prescribing uh, drugs to patients and sexually assaulting them. Um, you know, a trauma-informed survivor-centered prosecution, which uh, goes hand-in-hand with what we're, we're trying to do in terms of our, our special victims division. Uh, you know, this is just all the last, uh, you know, two weeks. And then earlier in the week, that was Friday. I started off the week earlier in the week last week with uh, vacating the conviction of uh, Stephen Lopez, who was the sixth person charged uh, with the, the rape of the Central Park jogger and pled guilty to another offense. And so that's the work of the office. That's the work of the office, uh, uh, holding people accountable who do do violent crime and, and impair our public safety uh, and working to prevent uh, and uplift folks uh, so that they can avoid uh, doing harm in our communities. That's what we've been up to, Harry. That's awesome. Just one quick follow-up. It's 3.40 on Wednesday as we're recording this. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams did a press conference at 2 o'clock where uh, he said a bunch of things. He talked about dangerous people who keep doing dangerous things and take advantage of the present system. And he said the NYPD is doing its job and then pointed to very broadly, it's like DAs, judges, lawmakers, the rest of the system is not. And so we have a handful of very dangerous people who are causing problems and other entities need to do more to ensure they're facing consequences. From from your perspective, as the Manhattan District Attorney, is, is the system functioning in the ways it should and with repeat offenders, uh, both, both, both for your office and, and, and more broadly? Because as we all know, it's, it's often very hard to uh, exactly determine where the system is working or breaking down. Look, there, look there's always more work to be done, right? Um, uh, and, you know, you talked about, you know, uh, going to bed before January 1st, you know, I've been working for 20 years talking about how to improve our imperfect system. So uh, certainly I think that's what we're working on every day, uh, improving the system. Uh, I am you know, proud of what we're doing at the Manhattan DA's office. Um, just mentioned some of the work we're doing. Um, uh, really encouraged by the fact that homicides are down, shootings are down year to date uh, in Manhattan. And so, yes, lots more work to do, but trending in the right direction. You know, we're working with the NYPD every day. Um, um, the, 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 the cases I just mentioned, um, some of them were with the NYPD. Uh, and so, yes, is there more work to be done? Of course. 
Um, but we're doing that work every day. And I think we're seeing in Manhattan um, the indicators pointing in the right direction. All right. Well, um, I've got a few quick follow-up mm-hmm. questions before I turn it over to Katie. And thank you so much for joining us, Alvin Bragg. Um, I want to pick up from our conversation from when you first joined us after you'd been elected. And I asked you about other DAs from cities across the, the country that you were either looking forward to working with or whose campaigns or offices that you were uh, interested in and, and followed. Um, who are you working with? Who are you in conversation with? Uh, who do you think can be a partner as you work on everything from guns to sex crimes to white collar crime and the shadow of Donald Trump and all these other things? Um, who, who would you say are your closest allies right now and your partners in this work? Well, good to see you, Professor Greer. Uh, I always feel more learned when I'm in conversation with you. Uh, And the first thing I would say, and that's the last time we spoke, uh, my guess is I did not mention any of the city DAs because, uh, you know, for ethics reasons, they're they're staying out of the local election. Uh, Now that I'm in office, I have been really, you know, one never knows, you know, when I was at the state attorney general's office as chief deputy, yes, there are, you know, 49 other attorney generals and we did some work together. But, you know, we're the one attorney general for New York State in in many regards, a standalone, uh, you know, but being one of five DAs for um, the city of New York, you know, we're sort of different than the rest of you in the state where everywhere else, you know, um, the county you know has a city within it. You take Monroe County, which has Rochester in it here, you know, the city, we've got five DAs. And so in, in close touch with them, uh, I, and obviously I'm the newest uh, of the group and have my own vision and things I want to do. Uh, but I found the group to be very collegial and uh, great conversations about, you know, management of an office, you know, working together. I mean, the 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 case we did yesterday uh, with the kind of uh, group that was uh, doing the string of robberies and the attempted murder, uh, you know, some of that conduct was in the Bronx, uh, and so we were, we were we were in touch with, uh, you know, Darcel Clark, DA Darcel Clark, in that office. Um, you know, I, you know, my 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 chief of uh, my chief. District Attorney, my number two in the office is someone who is the chief of social justice for District Attorney Eric Gonzalez. And so, uh, you know, very familiar with things he's doing there and trying to replicate some of that here. Uh, so that that I think would be the the, the newest uh, difference uh, that I didn't touch upon. And the other significant change is the district attorney who I had been in the most touch with before uh, was District Attorney Rachel Rollins in Boston. Uh, and she's since... Uh, I guess we'll call it elevated to the federal level and is now a U.S. attorney, um, but, you know, continue to, 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 to be in touch. So those are some of the, I would say, the differences from the last time I, we answered the last time. Right. And then just picking up from from Harry's question, you know, it took you a second to get your sea legs. And I think a lot of people who know you and your career and your CV know that, you know, yes, yes, you love being a dad. That is uh, an important piece on your CV. But you've been a, a, a very sort of faithful lawyer, public servant in the AG's office. And then coming into the DA's office, you know, oftentimes you were like, listen, I'm here to do a job. But there was this political element of the job that seemed to overshadow the work that you were trying to do, especially in the early months. What can you, and especially, you know, when you read the Post, you would think that Al Bragg is... <laughs> Running the city, running the world. It's, it's, you know, the equivalent of Hillary Clinton on Fox News. So what do you think you've learned about the politics of the job now that it's August 3rd, 
is it August 3rd? I don't even know the days of the week anymore. I but think it's, so. It's August yeah. 3rd. <laughs> um, and, you know, coming in on New Year's Day, essentially bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and feeling like, okay, this city is coming for me, or at least certain elements in the city are doing so. I think you put your finger on it. You know, I, I spent a lot of time uh, before January 1st, you know, building our legal team. Uh, and in retrospect, uh, you know, would have spent more time, you know, thinking about, uh, um, you know, intergov and communications. And that's, yeah, I did some of that at the attorney general's office, but, um, you know, certainly if I'm doing a self-assessment, um, that's a, that's a part of the job, um, that I had done less of and certainly learned that, you know, in the crucible of, uh, New York city pol- politics, as, as, as we would say, you know, I don't know what the right expression is, you know, um, uh, but, but certainly learned some early lessons about sort of, you know, how I spend my time in the mix of work. I mean, I love the cases. I'm very, very involved in, 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 the, in the case uh, making and investigations, but certainly um, in more mindful of um, how the office is perceived and our, and our work, because as you, as I think you said, you know, my sense was like, and if you're trained up as a prosecutor, as I was, it's like, you put your head down, you, you do the work for fairness, safety, and you do the work. And it became clear, uh, you know, really, you know, in January that in this new role that I'm in as the principal, uh, that doing that could be injurious to the office, right? Because then you get these headwinds uh, and it makes it harder to do the work. Uh, and so, you know, ha- have talented folks around me who are helping to, to, to balance that. You know, we never want to, you know, kind of been to or changed because of something that's happening out uh, in the public domain. But I think I came in with sort of a pristine view of, you know what, I'm going to ignore all that. I realized the perils of that institutionally, you know, for the office. And so um, hoping to do sort of a a better job balancing that um, going forward. Uh, But I I will say, um, I'm kind of hesitate to add on, you know, this job is different. I say, you know, call me an elected, don't call me a politician. I think the second I start, you know, and people do this all the time, so you think of the job as the same job as, you know, maybe in the legislative branch or, you know, the mayor or, you know, another executive role. Uh, I think our prosecutors, you know, have to be different, right? We we are um, tasked with a, a different and I would say solemn obligation to follow the facts and the law, apply that. So I'm always going to be that person. That's who I am to the core, but certainly I'm doing that mindful of part of my job now is to explain that to the public, uh, explain that to the public. So that's my follow-up because, you know, when I wrote my first book, I was like, woohoo, I'm done. And someone said, no, 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 that's only 50% of the work. If no one knows that you wrote the book, it doesn't matter, right? So 50% is the work. The other 50% is letting people you know. And it seems as though your office has had some wins and some hits. Um, And so, Really quickly, besides the exonerated six, which hopefully we can delve into a little bit deeper, but like give us just a quick flash forward as to the past few months in your office. You've got some greatest hits, and it seems as though some New Yorkers are aware and others just read some of the narratives in, in the in the papers and don't think that the office has has moved as far as it has. Yeah, and I think I think the top line there, well, I appreciate you saying that. The top line there is that homicides are down year to date, shootings are down year to date. Uh, and I think, you know, I look at what we've done in the gun space. We've brought more gun prosecutions um, uh, this year to date than, than than last. We're doing sophisticated investigations. We had two wiretop investigations with uh, guns being trafficked here from North Carolina. We had another with 
ghost gun parts being sent to Pennsylvania. Um, so very proud of what we've done in the gun space. And I appointed an executive to coordinate all of our gun work, uh, both internally, and then we're coordinating at the state, local, and federal. And I think we saw the product of that yesterday. We're standing side-by-side uh, side with our, our federal counterparts. Uh, and so I, I think that is really important work. Uh, you know, I mentioned, because I, I think that, you know, what we're doing with special victims, we've um, um, reformed that division, made it into a division, um, have great leadership of uh, someone who's a career domestic violence prosecutor in Queens, who was the acting DA in Nassau, is heading that up uh, and mentioned the, the, the case we had last week with the former doctor uh, and the sexual assault patients. I mean, it's a, a heinous, you know, uh, uh, abuse of, of, of trust. Um, and then what I haven't mentioned, you know, the work we've been doing in human trafficking, uh, you know, we, we got a, a conviction um, just this week, and we think it may be the first of its kind under the statute of a trial conviction. Uh, the human trafficking uh, work has just been phenomenal. And and what's interesting, and I know I know y'all will appreciate it from our, our prior conversations, is is how sort of all of the work is both kind of safety and fairness. So we've done these great human trafficking cases, but the head of our human trafficking is also you know leading the way. A new statute called the Start Act, where um, old convictions uh, that someone who's been trafficked has can be voided. Uh, he's leading the way, uh, innovative work, applying that statute, bringing life into it. So at the same time, he's holding accountable, uh, you know, someone who's trafficking uh, uh, our young people. Uh, he's also looking back and saying, okay, these people were convicted for X, Y, and Z, but those convictions were because they were traffic and he's voiding those. So in a lot of our spaces, I'm saying hate crimes, uh, you know, we, we uh, sought and got about uh, $1.7 million from the city council to derive more resources to our hate crimes practice. Uh, and so we're doing exactly that. Uh, and we're, we're bringing uh, cases, uh, but we're also doing much more community outreach has ever been done, understanding that the community has got to know we're doing the work. Uh, and so a lot of it is sort of, broken down into sort of the case making and the case doing and what I would call trust building, uh, whether that's through the gun grants I mentioned earlier, um, the, you know, the start act work, avoiding the human trafficking convictions or those who were trafficked. It's doing both of those things. Um, and, and talking about them, I think really is complementary pieces, uh, and things that both advance public safety. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, and I have a follow-up, I guess, circling back to that, first day, uh, you know, the infamous memo, which wasn't a secret, it was on your campaign website, and and you kind of had campaigned on what you're going to do if you were elected, you were elected. Were you surprised by this sort of, it felt like a real, like a tsunami of backlash to stuff you had discussed on the campaign trail about what you would do as DA, what you would and wouldn't prosecute? Um, And I guess, how, how do you hope I know, you know, when, when it came out, there was the backlash, you kind of dialed back some of what you had said, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? If you were surprised by that backlash and how you've tried to address to it, at least, like you said, getting the messaging out to the people of Manhattan who you represent as the DA and, and, and how to let them know how you're working on things. So, so I appreciate it. That, that goes back to Professor Greer's question, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, the role as a lawyer and kind of, you know, and now the role as a small p politics. Uh, I was surprised uh, by the intensity of the reaction. Uh, you know, one thing that is sort of interesting. I, you know, I 
ran for office, as, as Harry said at the top, you know, was, um, you know, uh, a rigorous uh, contest, a deep field, uh, robust and long conversation. It was, campaign was about two years. Uh, and it felt like while we were running, you know, there was a whole lot of attention. But the, the number of people interested in the Manhattan DA primary versus the number of people interested in the Manhattan <laughs> DA is a huge gulf. Uh, and you know, I, I learned that early that, you know, the audience is, uh, you know, now in many ways international. Um, and so I was, I was surprised by, by sort of the intensity. Um, and also the audience is one that is not what's been my primary audience to my career, right? You know, lawyers, you know, the memo is a legal memo, right? Uh, it was one uh, for practitioners to digest, but instead it was, you know, you know, kind of, uh, I took on its own meaning in the public domain. So then and we had to spend a fair amount of time contextualizing and explaining, uh, you know, what was intended by that, that legalistic minimal. So yeah, I was surprised by, by the, by the intensity. Um, I think it's ultimately a good thing. I think Manhattan is the best place on earth. Spent my entire life here. I'm unapologetically a Manhattan exceptionalist. Uh, <laughs> and so I guess it, sh- it shouldn't shock me. And in some ways I'm delighted by the fact that, uh, uh, People pay a lot of attention to this island, right? And, and why not? We've got the, the village of Harlem, where I hail from. We've got, you know, Madison Square Garden. We've got Hudson Yards. I, mean, I could name check all the beautiful parts, but it's, it's to me, I think it's because of that. So much of our practice, uh, it's so broad and so vibrant because it reflects all that Manhattan is, right? Um, from from Wall Street to the emerging, uh, you know, tech alleys we have. That's why we, you know, I think have the the most complex. Uh, a white collar practice, the you know the the the, the most sophisticated uh, cyber lab uh, in, in the country, maybe you know with the exception of the FBI lab. So it, it, the 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 scrutiny comes with the job. I understand that, and in some ways, it's the reflection of the of, of of the beauty of Manhattan. And I think some people, I guess, this is a congratulations. They think you're the DA for the entire state, the entire city, <laughs> as long as it's something they don't like. I I see you get. I have to explain that to people sometimes. No, he's just one fifth of the DAs in, in in New York City. Every borough has their own. There've been a couple of articles I've, I've I've read where where I've been responsible for things near and far, uh, which uh, which which on one level make you chuckle, but I think another um, you know speaks to really the issues of talking about this role in cogent ways that people can understand. And and really something fundamental, sort of what does a district attorney do as a general matter, which I also now view as sort of part of my role, sort of a public education role. And then specifically, I do think it's different when you look around the, the, the state and the country that we do have five DAs for one city. Uh, you know, when I was campaigning, it, it I would run into uh, people who would describe themselves as, um, you know, newspaper readers daily and never miss an election. And they would argue with me that they had never voted for district attorney and they vote every time. And I said, no, no, trust me, it's on the ballot. So I think that that explaining the role and how we interact with the NYPD, how we fit in with this, you know, the city, state, and local city, state, and federal level are, are really important things. And we're trying to do that. And I did want to give you the chance um, before we let you go to talk about the exoneration of Stephen Lopez, who is sort of the lesser known 
uh, teen who was charged in the Central Park 5 case. He's a Central Park 6, I guess, uh, and he was charged like them for rape. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about that case and, and I guess part of the larger exoneration going on within the Manhattan DA's office. No, I, I appreciate that. So, you know, I've been to court personally uh, twice uh, in the last uh, you know, year. Actually, I guess three times we go back a year. Um, prior to January 1, you know, representing Eric Garner's mother um, in a lawsuit against the city. And that was that was an honor and a privilege. Uh, and then and since being D.A., uh, you know, my first and only court appearance was in this matter, um, you know, with Stephen Lopez. And to contextualize that for folks, there are about 500 assistant district attorneys um, in Manhattan. So we have a large legal staff and it's rare for the district attorney uh, himself or herself to go into court. Uh, but this was a matter that, you know, as a lifelong Manhattanite, really sort of growing up uh, in the in the shadow of uh, the Park Five uh, as a as a kid from Harlem, uh, and then you know really arriving and on day one, this was waiting for us. The his lawyer and Mr. Lopez had you know petitioned uh, prior to January one uh, to have his conviction vacated, um, you know, and and we looked at it uh, and we saw that the the same features that led to the vacators of the now exonerated five. Uh, were present here. You know, we have uh, someone who was uh, convicted you know, in the face of forensic evidence we now know to be unreliable, uh, kind of a hair comparison, which uh, does not, uh, uh, you know, unreliable. And so there's no physical evidence connecting him to the charged crime. Uh, he was uh, also, you know, subject to sort of the same kind of false statements, which have now been uh, you know, recanted. And he sat through as a very young man, really a boy, and sat through and watched the first two trials uh, and saw the other five convicted. And his jury was waiting in the wings to come in to be seated. And he was given sort of an 11 hour, hour offer. You can plead guilty to assaulting a different uh, jogger in the park that night. Of, I'm sorry, of robbery of a different jogger. Or you can go to trial and he knew those same false statements, that same unreliable forensic evidence would come in against him. Uh, and so so he took the plea. Uh, and, I, and I think in many ways, not part of the public discourse because he didn't go to trial uh, and under our law, harder to have a, a plea conviction um, vacated than a trial conviction. Uh, so that led us to the moment of sort of last week when we went, went into court. Um, and, uh, you know, advanced justice that day. And it does fit into sort of our broader uh, endeavor, our post-conviction uh, justice work, which is also based on public safety, right? When we get the wrong person, hold the wrong person accountable, there's someone else out there who did harm who has not been held accountable. So that's a, a real cornerstone. And then another cornerstone um, is applying lessons forward. So we see the questioning here, we see the, the faulty science, applying those lessons to our current practice. So extraordinarily rewarding, but ultimately, I think the two things I take away is Mr. Lopez, as his lawyer said in court to him, he said, you've got your name back. So first and foremost, it's about him. Uh, and then secondly, it's about community trust. I go back to that concept I talked about earlier. We cannot do our jobs as prosecutors. I've sat in rooms with witnesses who didn't trust the system, with victims who didn't trust the system, uh, we cannot do our job if we do not have the trust of the public. Uh, and so while we talk about fairness and safety, it's all public safety work, uh, including the vacator of uh, Mr. Lopez's conviction. 
Just a quick follow-up here. I mean, to do your job, you need the uh, trust of the public. You need the uh, trust of the uh, police department to some extent, given the ways in which you work with them. Um, I know you, you you mentioned Eric Gonzalez before. He, he picked up on some groundbreaking work that Ken Thompson had started with conviction reviews. A ton of the cases he's been involved in that now have led to a bunch of civil suits involved this one super detective, uh, Louis Garcella and his partner, Sky Chamil, who are long retired. And he keeps finding ways to vacate these cases because they had one miracle witness who was a prostitute who saw like 17 murders. Um, it, it, allegedly, he beat up and menaced a lot of kids, uh, you know, who, who were scared and, and pleaded to things that, that it appears they did not do. And yet somehow, you know, these two officers, whose cases are all getting unwound, still have their pensions. Uh, have never been charged with anything. He's taken some pains not to do so, I think, out of fear that every other case they were involved in and lots of good convictions uh, would go away. So I, I just want to ask how it is that your office can go about looking at very old cases. And, you know, with the Central Park Five, there's Linda Fairstein who is there and, and, and there's, there's a whole, whole bunch of Things there, but but very old cases, and then newer ones involving police officers who are maybe still there. And as you have to work with the department, and how you go about building trust and credibility with the public and maintaining relations with the police at the same time. So I think there's some real complications there that that uh, even these conviction review units often paper over or work around. Yeah, you know, so, and I you know I know the general contours of. of the Brooklyn matter you talk about, you know, Ken Thompson was a was a was a was a dear friend, and I and I think he's got many lasting uh, legacies. Certainly, um, wrongful conviction work uh, being near the top, if not at the top of that list. Um, but I don't know all the ins and outs that you just mentioned, so I'll just kind of speak, um, you, you know, about about how I'm thinking about it in Manhattan, which is yeah, yes, we have to have the trust of the community. We also have to have uh, uh, the working relationship with the NYPD. Uh, I think. We all agree with the bedrock principle in our system, which is, you know, we, we, we can't convict people either who are innocent or who have not had the protections that our system affords them. Um, I think that's a premise that is shared um, broadly in the leadership of the city, I hope throughout the country. Uh, and so I think it's about communications. It's about, you know, articulation of those ideals and, and, and really having a, um, transparent, fact-based, evidence-based, uh, sober-eyed look at these things. Um, you know, that, that's the approach we're, we're taking here. Uh, it's what we plan to do sort of in, on all of these matters. Um, you know, I have not heard, you know, any, any criticisms. Perhaps there have been some grumblings about uh, Mr. Lopez's uh, uh, vacator. You know, I, you know, when it was originally done in you know, the early 2000s by Mr. Borgenthal, the other five, there was, as you recall, you know, significant uh, pushback and discussion. Perhaps this is different because it's those five uh, already happened and it's seen as sort of um, a logical next step. Uh, but I haven't heard any. And I think that in, in part that's due to, you know, discussions, relationships, this sort of where we are. I mean, I think if you were to go back 10, 15 years, I mean, it's always easier to be the 2.0 version. I think where Ken was 
in the 1.0 version, lots of headwinds and feedback. Uh, I think there's best practices. This is being done, you know, throughout the, uh, throughout the country and in, in, in by prosecutors coming from very different perspectives. And so, uh, I think it's important work and perhaps there'll be those who, who, uh, you know, want to have a discussion about specific cases. Uh, and we'll have those conversations with our partners. Not specifically, but if bad cops successfully lock up, help lock up bad guys, how do you dig into that without potentially releasing people who have done and maybe would continue to do bad things? Well, look, with that, I mean, that premise there, I think that's, a, you know, I mean, look, I was a law professor, but, you know, after my prosecution days before I came here, right, this is, this is criminal, criminal law 101. You know, if someone has done something, but they do not uh, and they and they have a conviction that is not based upon the protections afforded to them, that's not a conviction that we can we can have stand. And that means we have to retry a case. Right. Then we have to retry a case just because a conviction is vacated. I mean, here it was vacated and the, the underlying indictment was dismissed because, as I said, the statements were recanted and there's uh, no physical evidence. There's no case. But you're, you're right. I think, Harry, to raise there may be incidents, incidents where we see, you know what, this process uh, was not what our system requires. Um, but that doesn't mean that the person, while that conviction gets void, doesn't mean that there's not a retrial. Uh, and so I think you can, you, you can have both and need to have both. And you say, we, we can't just be ends oriented and say, well, there was a conviction and someone did something. We've got to look at the due process protections. And it, this goes back to trust too, right? People want safety. They want accountability. They want someone who's been harmed. To be held accountable by our system, uh, but what people and I know this from my travels throughout the borough, people want a process that they can look to and be proud of. You know, as 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 residents of this great island, uh, and so we've got to safeguard not just an outcome but a process, and that may mean in some instances we've got to retry and do it over again with great confidence that justice will be done um, on a fair and appropriate process. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And uh, rejoining FAQNYC, we appreciate it. We appreciate you. And uh, a real quick closer here. Do you have anything you would want to say to uh, gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin and to New Yorkers who uh, agree with or are receptive to or thinking about his core campaign message, which is that you should be a year after taking office if you were to win recalled from your office, removed by the governor, that is. So I, I don't I don't really have anything to say. Uh, and I think this goes to my role. Right? I, I will leave to those who are on the ballot to, to campaign and to talk politics uh, and to have slogans. I wake up every single morning with a solemn, profound obligation to safeguard New Yorkers from harm and to make our system fairer. Uh, I'm thinking about that every second of the day. I'll leave to politicians who are running for office uh, to do what they feel they need to do. And I'm going to, you know, really hold dear the sacred trust that the voters have given me and focus on the kind of work that we've talked about. You know, the, 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 the case we brought yesterday in, involving uh, the robberies, the, you know, former doctor who assaulted the patients. Uh, Mr. Lopez's vacator, the human trafficking work I talked about, the domestic violence work that we're doing. You know, that, that, I don't, that, that's where my focus is. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining us, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Thank you. Thank you, good people. Always good to talk with you. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC is now part of The City, a nonprofit and nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York City. Our work is freely available to everybody at thecity.nyc and is made possible with support from readers and listeners like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash donate if you want to become a member and join us. And FAQ NYC is a proud member of the Brick House Cooperative of Independent Creators online at thebrick.house. The podcast is headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this episode from the boroughs of Manhattan and Brooklyn. A special thank you today to our guest, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, and as always, to Adam Kamara, who mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, kind, and cool, and we'll be back soon with more. <laughs>